Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central. Thank you, Mr. Bobo, as always. Um, and uh, let me see if I can find the scripture here. I wasn't quite ready. Um, today we're going to do what I would describe as part two of the book of Hebrews discourse on rest and restfulness. And like last week, the writer of Hebrews goes retro style on us, drawing on the not so happy part of Jewish redemptive history. When they were freed from Egypt and a whole generation of them perished in the desert because they acted the fool with God, meaning they went out there freed by God, fed by God, and acted after all of, light, all of that like there was no God. Well, last week we saw that we should be afraid of the dark, afraid that we too, right, just like them, yes, even church-going people and church-familiar people, religious people, could easily fall and follow into the footsteps of those Jews who got got by God. Amen. In fact, today's passage in chapter 4 picks up right where we left off by declaring what? In verse 1 of chapter 4, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, stands, let us what? Fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. But in the very next verse, it starts off by focusing us towards the good news of rest and restfulness that God has promised to give us access to right here on earth. Not yesterday, not tomorrow only, but it says today. You know, there's a war right now between Amazon and Walmart. And though Amazon might have Prime letting you get it in two days, a little sooner, nothing beats and keeps Walmart in the game, though they don't have as much stuff as being able to go up there and get it today. Well, in Hebrews, Use of the word today 
the writer of Hebrews wants us to answer this question. If you can get the Amazon-like fullness of God's blessing with the today ability of Walmart, the writer of Hebrews is wondering, why would you wait and live with less when you and I don't have to? God's rest, the forever and ever rest, Hebrews' teaching is today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the rest promised in this passage. Help our hearts to embrace it today. Help our minds to take in the word. But please, by all means, let what we read in here find a fertile place deep within. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We just finished singing the song, Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul. You know what I feel in this congregation right now, in large part? Tiredness. Weariness. Just so many of you, right? Even the stories I'm hearing, right, are weighed down, maybe by hard jobs, or financial, or physical, or relational, and spiritual situations. And if you are like me, you may have come here today looking for a rest, a holiday of sorts. In fact, barring all of the other tiring family mess and drama and loneliness stuff that comes during the holiday season, y'all need the holidays badly this year. Thanksgiving and Christmas break can't come soon enough for some of y'all with school and after-school stuff, and the rat race going on back and forth, just continuing on, right, and onward to the next thing and the next month and must, the next obligation barely hanging on. We need a holiday, which means in its core definition, a holy day. You need a time of upward eye and head lifting, right, reflection and good news for all your hard and weary news. You and I need rest. And the good news is this. God has rest for you and me. A rest that is forever. A rest that is for today. And a rest that is for the faithful. Forever. For today. And for the faithful. In a surface reading of last week's passage, it might have appeared that the generation of Jews who died in the desert had failed to enter God's rest because they did not make it to their earthly promised land. And while, yes, the promised land of Israel represented heaven on earth, it was simply, get this, an earthly holder. It was an earthly marker, a a virtual existence that pointed to the fact that if you lived in and made it through the desert, right, to the promised land, that you had most likely entered spiritually into God's rest. But there is more, to say the least, than just entering an earthly place. Place When we're talking about rest, God's rest is an eternal rest and an eternal life. Two things point us away from God just giving us an earthly rest, like some kind of commune, right? Super safe, perfect, prosperous, happy-go-lucky because the bills are paid and you got the square footage you want and your kids are all good and you have a perfect marriage life on earth. Look at how rest is bookended here in verses 3 through 10. Look with me again this passage for we who have believed entered that rest as he has said as I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest although his works were finished from the foundation of the world for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way and God rested on the seventh day from all his works after having created the earth in six days right And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, here again, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua 
had given them rest, God would not have spoken another day. Later on, so then remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Okay, a lot of words, a lot of descriptions. But they all say this. That God's rest that he's talking about was there before there was an Israel. And they promised land. And when they made it to the promised land and occupied it, led by Joshua, his message 400 years after they finally made it in the promised land was the same as before the promised land. Don't harden your hearts and not be able to go where or enter in where? Into my rest. In other words, bottom line, God's rest is not hear me now, not tied to this world and this time and this place and bound by the definitions of rest and prosperity. God's rest is about, a, about his rest, defined by him. It is God's eternal rest, heaven we like to call it, life beyond this life, beyond this pain, beyond this threat, beyond this insecurities and turmoil, beyond the weight and wear of being here, beyond sickness and pain and confusion and fear, but into God's eternity forever world and life when we, how does Hebrews put it in verse 10? When we shall rest from our works. In other words, when you and I, his people, will pass away, right? When we finish our earthly course, when, when they finish their earthly semester, there awaits for them an eternal holiday and vacation where they shall vacate this world and body and be with the Lord and each other in harmony and peace and real biblical nirvana forever. And I know how this immediately might feel like a letdown. You want the rest now, right? Especially for us Walmart, Target, Amazon Prime, stream it now on your phone generation. But think about it. Real rest has no hang-ups. Real rest has no end date. Like your earthly vacations and lifestyles do. In fact, I have experienced vacations where all is vacated except sin and mess in my heart. And guess what? Like many of you, we get hundreds of miles away and spend hundreds of dollars just to get into a fight or argument or get angry or for someone to be disappointed because they didn't get to eat or go or do what they wanted when they wanted. There wasn't enough money to get the gold package, this or that. No, the rest of God is promising is one that is forever, not only in time, right, but in pure perfect experience where there is no bottom to the holy pleasure and contentment you and I will feel and know and experience once we are forever with our God. But this implies something about living here, doesn't it? Because thank goodness, the writer of Hebrews is not saying, let's do the Jim Jones or David Koresh out of here, right? Meaning, let's go ahead and stop living this life and get all communy, you know, communy, right? And spiritually and emotional suicidal about being here. The writer of Hebrews connects the entry, get this, or invitation or inheritance of the eternal rest to living now with eternal life at work. Think about it. A hard heart, like they're talking about, seen and expressed in disobedient behavior on earth and lack of blessing and trusting God on earth, pointed to a possibility, a lack of, that you had a lack of connection, that you're not on a path, that you lack, a, you have a pathless, aimless, no road or highway to heaven experience. God is calling us in this passage to start living eternal life now. 
walking and living in the lighted path and way to walk through in this, in this life on the way to a promised eternal rest. Look at verse 3 with me. It says here, once again, for we who have believed enter the rest as he has said, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then look at verse 5. Again, it says, if I can read because the lights, okay. Um, I can see four, but I can't see five. Oh, and again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. And then in verse 11, it says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort disobedience. It is saying that we must live in God's eternal rest in life now. Pastor Brown, that don't make no sense. You just said eternal rest is not tied to this earth. Yes, it's not tied only to this earth, but we tie into that eternal rest while on earth, right? So the things that happen on earth are not the eternal rest. It's not everything. This isn't bottom line. Everything involved in eternal rest, you can't get here. You can't experience here until you rest from your works. That means your ability to do anything. That means you die until you go to the other side but it's tied to you living here now. And the, the trailhead, if you will, to eternal rest with God is on earth. It is today. It's while you are alive now. I don't want to pick on my son, Harrison, but I will. <laughs> I already told him I was. He's like, Dad, what you going to say about me? He got these special shoes that we had to order online. We wanted Stacy Adams. These kids want Jordans. Y'all don't know about Stacy Adams. That's all right. Oh my Lord. I keep forgetting my I'm old. He wanted some kind of Jordans, all right, y'all? And boy, as he waited. My man was living in Jordanville before he had Jordans. He made sure the right outfit was clean. Dad, did you, wear, did you wash these shoes? Now, the shoes were on order. They weren't even there yet. Dad, is this shirt ready? He had that shirt. And those shoes, and he had the shirt and the socks, right? And the pants, you know, the special pants that go down real tight at the bottom so you can see the shoes, you know what I'm saying? In the 80s, we used to do the top, you know, where you do the thing and then, y'all don't know about that, boy. We had joggers, we just made our own joggers by tucking and doing the thing. So we could break dance whenever some cardboard came out. So you got to be ready. You had to be ready. Okay, that had nothing to do with this. But my man was living in Jordanville. He made sure, again, the right up was clean, the right shirt was ready, and he waited to wear what would match for the day when those shoes finally came. And he asked me, Dad, can you track the package, please? <laughs> and when the shoes came, ooh, he was ready to go to school the next day. He was living out not eternity, but Jordanness before Jordan came. I like that they were retro Jordans too. Ties into this whole Israel thing. I'm not going to go into how, but I'll let you analytical people think about it. <laughs> living an eternal life now means living as and like people of promise, as if promised heaven today. Like Harrison was promised Jordan-esque-ishness. Wow. It seems then, it, see, it means then that your righteousness matches before you get it. The promise before you get 
it. The promise rest, right? It matches that. And there's only one way to be dressed ready for eternity. Now, don't get it twisted. Yes, he put an outside clothing on. But this is where the people of God back in the day missed it. They thought, okay, if we did all the right things on the outside and we matched what looked like God's holiness was, we'll be ready for eternity and we're already into the rest because we dressed right. We're acting right. That's part of it. And we'll get back to the acting right in a minute. But here's the thing. How do you become dressed righteous for all eternity? You have to be clothed and dressed in the righteousness of Christ. That you have to have grace at work. Not only on the outside, but on the inside is what verses 12 and 13 talk about. About the word of God checking your heart out. So what does it mean to be ready for eternity? It is to begin now living in the promised life that Jesus offers us now. Not talking about a performance. Not talking about having everything ironed and creased perfectly. Not talking about being good or working enough to get promised eternal life. We are talking about, again, be clothed in and have a heart-changing grace of God at work. Now. Now having a heart change. Not now becoming a believer. And the good news is this. God's rest, eternal rest, and eternal life is for today. It's for today. You know, I've heard some complaints about Christianity. Y'all whole thing only about after you die. It's about today. Because you can't have anything the scripture is teaching. You have no part in tomorrow if today you aren't united with Christ. It's interesting. So your tomorrow begins today? Man, let me tell you who uses this more than anybody. Y'all know. It's the insurance and investment people, right? <laughs> you go sit down with them. They're like, look, man, if you give this much money today, Tomorrow, when you retire, this is going to be with your paycheck look at the end of the month. Today, I'm living out retirement and rest. But your investment is only in Christ. And, and this is interesting because he, he puts this idea of eternal life today against what happened yesterday historically with Israel. So he's saying that today is the day of eternal life, despite what? The dark past and the dark present. Now, we have already looked at how the warning of God to not be disobedient and not be able to enter into the rest shows up all over history. Last week, we talked about it. But that tells us something else, doesn't it? That while there are times and times again that people fail to enter into the promise of God's eternal life, there is always, therefore, time for people to enter the promise of God's rest. With the fear of missing on salvation like some in the desert did is the hope that you and I can still enter God's rest. Look at verse 1 with me. Therefore, it says, this is after they talk about all the bad news about how everybody missed the rest, right? Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest, what? Still stands. Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And then back at verse 6. Since therefore, listen what it says now, after talking about all the bad news of the past, therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly entered the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. So he says, back in the day, people failed. They messed up the relationship with God. They all died in the desert. They all failed to enter into the rest, right? He says, because of disobedience. But, disobedience. but listen to this. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today. Saying through David, so long after in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, hear this now. 
It, it repeats so many times, I don't know how we can miss it. Therefore, then, then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Wow. What is the Bible teaching us here? That good news, good news, people, regardless, hear this now, regardless of how badly people like us and people who were just like us in many ways messed up entering into the God's rest, you and I and many others have a chance. All the days we might live to enter into and repent and get things right with God. Why? Because the rest, the salvation and grace of God for people, get this now, is not dependent on them, but is tied to God's goodness and not how bad we or the world has been, is, or will be. Today is always a day of salvation and repentance and another chance and an open door of redeeming relationship with God because God in Christ is alive and able and willing and waiting and has worked to make a way right now for people like you and me to be drawn to him today. And yes... This is about seeing that despite the dark history of Israel, that that does not spoil it for us. That the doors weren't closed because people acted so poorly. But think about what this means in our generation and generations sitting right here. Nothing you could have done in your past or could have been done to you points to the fact that God has closed the door of grace. That obviously God is done with you because things are so jacked up and botched up in my heart and life in the past and even now to, to write that things are so bad. The door for me must be closed. I am so trapped, some of us. We feel in this sin or this pattern, I just give up. You might be giving up, but let me make clear. You are giving up and closing the door on redeemed and repented and restored eternal and promised life with God because Jesus has not given up and closed the door on you and me. If you are alive right now, today, it is all in your mind. If you make history or present darkness, make a decision for you when the decision has already been made by God to grant you today to repent and turn and come to him. If today you're alive, that is what scripture is talking about. Today is the day, regardless how yesterday or tomorrow is going to look like or how bad even today is. Today remains open for people like you and me. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what you're going through or how messed up you are or crazed and frenzied you might be today. Right now, today, rest of God is, the rest of God is open and remains for people like you. And last week, we talked about how generations before have made church and Christianity so hard. You know the generations before us, their failed and spiritually abusive views and ways about church and family and their hypocrisy and saying they're Christians and living a different way at home. The church has screwed up. Yes, that is some of your story. And I agree, I'm a Gen Xer. I am great at talking about how bad the boomers messed it up. We have books. We got articles. We got pastors with the cool looking glasses all walking around. Talking about with their beards, talking about how the boomers messed it up. Boomers pastors didn't wear beards. We wear it because God accepts us anyway. They didn't understand grace. I'm good at blaming the generation before me. My dad, mom, all them boomer people. 
the church, the promised land and place of God's people is so screwed up. I'm going to, you know what you, I do? I think I'm just going to hold off, right? Being all committed and obedient and loving. You know, I look at the boomer generation, man, they took things wholeheartedly. They loved God. They changed the way they did family. They wore Jesus shirts. They believed in redoing life according to what the Bible says. And let me tell you, us Gen Xers, we wanted to be as evil and sinful as it could be and still get into heaven. We watch everything on TV. We listen to all kinds of music because God loves us unconditionally. And it's a reaction. Right? It's a reaction because of history. Things look so dark in the past. And yes, there were plenty of mistakes made. And now you millennials have some real short-sighted views about God and the church and your sense of commitment. Between Xers and boomers, we don't believe in church membership. This is a real surprise this morning. <laughs> we have church membership at Christ Central. People are like, what? Y'all got commitment, and it's gotten so bad that they're like, y'all have commitment and elders and church discipline and all that? Yeah, we do. Dog, are y'all Christians over there? Or is that a cult? You can come and get baptized in most of the big churches in town. Sure. You go over there, day one, you baptize. Oh, woo! Spray the water hose, get the, ba- get, get the pool ready. We don't know your name. We don't care. We, we oh, you got saved. Shoom. Shoom. It's like something on um, Dr. Seuss. Remember the stars upon doors? You just shoo, go through the machine. Look on Facebook. Got baptized today. I'm saved. Do they know you? Not really. Because we think the church in the past was so hypocritical, we lose everything. Let me tell you something. Some of y'all don't believe in membership or coming to Wednesday night or community group. That stuff didn't work for the church before and even now. They still all wonky and all of that. Let me get you straight as your pastor. Bless you. Somebody sneezed. Was that you? Raise your hand. There you go. (laughs) Is this all getting recorded? I hope not. Let me get something straight right now. That kind of thinking that we have is some prideful, self-righteous, desert death thinking. You think you're astute, clever, And about being like the rest of the church, you are a fool and being foolish and tricking yourself. Because you're too hurt. Where you and God have something special going on. And you can just do things virtually and my religion is global now and I don't need the local church. And you and I are reacting to God's offer like it has changed or passed by or get this ruined by the generation before. And so we rid the faith of promised land living and it's caused many of us to grow hard-hearted to holiness. And we miss God's eternal rest, some of us all together. I'm not trying to glorify the past. I'm talking about Christian living according to Scripture. The dark past and presence has not extinguished the light and the truth and the ways and pathways of obedient, loving, repentant redemption through Jesus. Quit being so special and so stubborn, mean, and mad, and so prideful. Yes, that's right. Get this. Prideful in your struggle because your thing is special, like you need to be rebellious and wait until God makes it clearer. Forget the degree of darkness before and around you. Quit being so analytical about how bad the past was. God is saying, today is the day of salvation. Don't worry about the past. Today, 
Forget all that mess. That's the devil and sin for making you hold on to that. The dark past and present does not change God's call to obedience and forgiveness and repentance and promise and eternal rest for you. And that obedient living is called being faithful, y'all. Oh, we don't like this one. I didn't when I was reading it. I was trying to find a commentary that I liked. <laughs> oh, liked what I liked. Again, I'm Jan X. I don't want to talk about how to live holy. Holiness don't work. Look at the boomers. Boy, you get the, get the behind the scenes, all these movies coming about, what, what really happened and all. What? All kind of stuff was going on. It don't happen in our generation, though, because we'll expose you because we got iPhone cameras. We ain't no better. We just get exposed quicker. That's all. And we forgive quicker and the person goes back and does anyway, you know. We forgive, right? But, okay, let me not get into it. That's a different sermon. That obedient living again is called faithful. And Hebrews is teaching here that God's rest is reserved for the faithful. Oh, y'all, this is hard, but it's going to get harder later in Hebrews. So don't let your heart get hard with it, okay? All right, let's look. Look uh, again at verses 1 through 3. Yeah, we're going to wear out some of these verses. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message, get this, they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed into the rest, as he has said, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then just jump to verse 6 again. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter. Now, let me stop right there. Hear me now. They failed to, no, don't hear me. Hear the word of God, okay? They failed to enter because of disobedience. Just not listening to God. Wow. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Is that it? No, verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall. Now he's talking about us, not Israel. By the same sort of disobedience. Dang. The ones who missed out on God's offer of rest, Hebrews clearly says, were and are those who were disobedient. I wish there was another way to talk about or define disobedience. We'll get more technical in a minute in a nice way. But it means not obeying. <laughs> It means doing your own thing, not acting or living out what God has called you to be and do. The disobedience, the unfaithful, not inherit the promise of eternal rest. That's the principle here. Let's not fool ourselves, people. And I can't declare that we, you, sorry, let's, let's not fool ourselves. You and I can't declare that we are faithful. That is, inheritors of the promise of God and live lives in disobedience to God at the same time and live confidently and defiantly in God's promised places as God's promised people. One of these things is not like the other. I'm living disobediently in God's promised place as God's promised people. And somehow I have full confidence that as promised people, I'm on the pathway to eternal rest. One of those things is not like the other. It don't work like that. That's hard to hear. Why? Because we mess up all the time. Let me continue in, though. 
God offers us rest and we act restless like there is no God and no rest, probably not believing there is a rest or that God is worth obeying. And for us Gen Xers and millennials, this is hard. Because we focus on what verse 12 and 13 talk about, about the intent of the heart, right? We, especially at this church, are heart and emotional, emotion and intention people. We are hypocrite police around here. We hate behavior assessments and anything that is a test or a check according to how we actually living and what we are doing according to the word of God. We are consumed with moral victories and the spirit of the law and not actually what the word of God talked about in verse 12 is calling us to be and do, to live holy before God. Have you ever thought about it this way? Obedience is restful living. That the reason you might be feeling restless and weary is because you're living against and how God wants you to live. That he's drawing you to a rest and you're kicking against it. I'm going to take an exegetical risk. Okay, because I think this eternal rest is and resting from our works is about us dying and going to heaven. But at verse 10, when it says that we rest from our works, I think it not only applies to death as resting from your works, but also obedience as resting from you, what you think makes you restful and happy and comfortable. Sin and rebellion and selfishness and hedonism oftentimes tricks us and hides itself as in rust and relief when it is actually taking us away from entering into rest. Self-made religion and hedonism is the opposite of God's rest. But here comes what we like about call the rest of the faithful. Look carefully at verse 2 once again with me. And it says here, um, for good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Right? And then, and then in verse 12 through 13, this is great. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. What did it mean that they had the word and rules and law of God, the guide to obedience, but it wasn't united to faith like the ones who listened? It meant they were not only disobedient, but they depended on their ability to be righteous enough to be the reason they got into heaven. These folks developed an entitlement mentality when you go back to the story. Many of them, when they thought they thought they had behaved well enough that God had to listen to them and their complaints and their requests, they became what we describe as whitewashed believers, right? Some of them acting good on the outside, but they were dead and didn't love God on the inside. And the word of God not only shows us our disobedience in terms of actions, but it goes deeper is what 12, 13 is saying. It goes deeper, which is really scary. It figures out the deepest intentions behind the actions. It, it can find unfaithfulness behind the whitewashed facade of being a good person who does not really have a heart for God and a trust in God, a real faith in what Jesus has done. And here is how it does it. Verse 2 tells us the Bible from beginning to end was about the good news. And the good news is the same today as it was then. That is, it is by God's grace you have been saved. By God's work that you have and will be saved and enter into his rest. Not by your works. It is the gospel. It is the heart-wrenching. Get this, like verse 12. It is the heart-wrenching twisting truth of God that guess what we are sinners and Jesus is the savior of sinners that we cannot and will never be the people of God who will enter and get eternal life and rest unless the Lord saves us 
And we humbly turn to him and say, I can't save myself, Lord. My disobedience is ever before you. Have mercy on me, God. It is, it is that heart that God's people failed to have that made hearing the word of God hard and heart hardening because being obedient enough or trying to be holy enough to prove to God that you deserve eternal life is disheartening and condemning and feeling. And it will make you hate God and yourself and everything about the faith. People like you and me fail to enter in and live according to God's rest faithfully because we fail to have faith in the living word of God. We fail to trust that God has sent Jesus to love and change us through his word by faith just out of his love for us. To accept and believe that God loves you and wants you beyond your ability to be good enough. That God loves and wants you so much that he sent his son to die for you. That God wants, get this, to sit back and rest with you and you with him for eternity so badly that Jesus came and died and rose again from the grave, that changes everything. That kind of gospel faith united with the truth of God, my goodness, is dynamite to our souls. And it breaks apart the sin so the light of God can come in. You see, when we receive Jesus into your heart, when you receive the gospel that you are a broken sinner who needs a savior and grace in Jesus. The word, the living word, Jesus, by God, Holy Spirit, slices into your heart. Now get this. When it talks about a double-edged sword, not to condemn you and judge you, but slices in to speak to your heart that I love you and I forgive you. Slicing in to make the relationship between you and God heartfelt, heart softening, authentic and real. If the heart changes from grace, the life of obedience because becomes one driven by grace. And when you're driven by grace on earth, guess what? You're in the pathway to eternal rest. Stop trying to save yourself. Stop trying to figure it all out. Stop trying to make the past make sense. Don't let all the crazy abuses hold you back. I know they're real. The dark past and present's real. But the word says Christ took it all on the cross. And that truth you just can't hear. And it's a slice right here. I was watching a story about Snoop Dogg's son who recently quit and left his scholarship to play football for Southern Cal. And you know, they have these reality shows and it showed Snoop Dogg and his son. And he's, his, I mean, Snoop is really into football. Okay, he's super competitive mean, okay? And I watched part of this develop on reality TV. Well, just this week, past week, the son he had pushed to play and ended up quitting declared in Instagram, I'm free now. Because I thought playing football would be the only way my dad would love me. And now I know, and he has assured me that that is not true. Thank you, Dad. That young man is free to live life truly and faithfully and live as a child of promise because he has been promised and received and known the rest 
of his father as one resting in the unconditional love of dad. God's rest is entered into when we become faithful, not just to, but faithful because of and from the love of God getting in our heart. You are not free and living in and for the rest until what you know is united with faith in what God has said and done in Christ Jesus. Repentance and freedom and restoration and rest and holy vacation, a holy, holy day rather, is yours today. The forever and ever of God is in Jesus today for you and me. Don't let the dark past and presence hold you out, make, make you hold out on God. Don't let disobedience continue to run your life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Believer unbeliever no longer languish do not perish in the desert of restlessness today today is a day of promise and the day of forever ever rest let us pray Heavenly Father, we thank you. Once again, thank you. Help us to rest in what Christ has done. Help us to take all we have and all we aren't, all our disobedience, all our fears, all the dark past, and let us put it on Christ. And when we do so, let it light a way of living through the word, through the deserts, through the highways and byways. Let it be a, lit, a lighted path from Christ's delight to God's eternal rest. Lord, I pray for those right now who are struggling in their hearts. They've seen all kind of things in religion, all kind of things in the church, all kind of things, crazy things done in the past and in the present. Love of God in Christ. Breakthrough. Holy Spirit, breakthrough. Help them to realize that today is the day given to them and to us who are even believers to repent and turn and trust God wholeheartedly again. Thank you for another day, God. Thank you for another day to serve you and be served by you. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.